Please take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. You'll rejoice perhaps and realize we finished with the Beatitudes. We're moving on, looking this morning at verses 13 through 15 of Matthew chapter 5. Um, by God's grace, Michelle and I and made it, and the kids made it back from St. Louis last night about 8 o'clock. And uh, we had some sanctifying time on Friday with American Airlines. Um, that's not an endorsement. Um, <laughs> but um, I do want to share at, after the close of worship a brief update. I'm sure you probably have already read some major news media have carried the results of our General Assembly but I do want to share those results with you after the close of worship for any who would like to stick around five or ten minutes tops. Let's hear now the inerrant and infallible word of Almighty God, Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Most high God, we come before you this morning rejoicing that you have called us together as one body through Christ. We pray now, Father, and ask that you would put the heart and the mind of Christ in us that we would think His thoughts and love the things that Christ Himself loves. Sanctify us in this way. We ask it in His name and for the sake of His glory. Amen. <clears throat> what would you think about buying a private island and moving your family there and erecting a giant wall so nobody could get in. That sounds kind of like an ideal, doesn't it? Maybe, I don't know, you wouldn't take your family. Um, how nice would it be to have some sort of self-sufficiency, to be able to break away from the grid to generate your own power, your own water, your own sanitation. No taxes. This isn't a novel opinion. There actually have been many, uh, some Christian men in our day who have suggested this sort of thing. You might have heard uh, Rod Dreher within the past five or six years suggesting what he called the Benedict Option. This is named after 
Saint Benedict, as it were, Benedict of Nursia, uh, who carries the largest Roman Catholic monastic order, the Benedictine order. And what Rodre is suggesting is perhaps now is a time for Christians to withdraw from culture. Many have said after recent elections that because their, their person did not win the office that they were moving away to Canada. And some have responded, so long. As, as conditions seem to wax worse and worse, I think we would all confess that there's some temptation to want to do this. To pack it up. To get out. The monks did. But is that God's will for His people? That's what we have to wrestle with. Is, is that God's will for His people? To go with Benedict or, or Francis into the woods, into the wilderness to set up a cloister. I think what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 13 to 15 is that citizens of the kingdom of heaven actually benefit the world. Benefit the world through wise and righteous living which directs men to glorify God. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven benefit the world through wise and righteous living which directs men to glorify God. First of all, notice from this passage of Scripture that God, it is God's will for His people to live amongst the lost. Reflect just for a moment with me on the Christ's previous two points. As, we, as he wound down these Beatitudes, we thought about the character of a man and how we are a, a mourning people as we reflect upon ourselves. We mourn our own sin. We look outwardly to Christ. We find our complete sufficiency in Him. We are a meek and an humble and a gentle and merciful people. Why? Because we realize that at the end of the day, we, re, we, we deserve judgment. Judgment is reserved for us. And God has acted graciously. And that grace flows outwardly, outwardly through us in mercy to other undeserving people. We're meek, gentle. But in the two most immediate points, God has called His people to be peacemakers. Right? You remember that according to Hebrews 12, 14, that, that demonstrates an active work on the part of the people of Christ to pursue or literally to persecute peace with other men. To strive for it. To bring about peace between men and God and between men and, and men. But, but look more immediately, verses 12, 10 to 12. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Well, what, what are a persecuted people if not a people living in and amongst the people who hate and despise them? 
for two reasons. Just for living righteously. Just for choosing day by day, moment by moment, to do the right thing. And for living for Christ, for imitating Him. And so you can, you can look at this promise of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Bless, blessed are you when men revile you, when they persecute you, when they slander you and slay all kinds of lies about you. You're blessed. Can't you see that the immediate reaction for the hearers of this word might be, okay, how do I avoid all that? I'm going to leave the world, okay? If that's what this entails. I, I, I want Christ, but not that part of it. You should notice then that Christ in verse 13 continues. I, I want just to, to show you a couple of little details here. Literally in verse 11. Blessed are you all. Plural. When others revile you all and persecute you all and utter all kinds of evil against you all falsely, the end of verse 12, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you all, and now the continuation of the thought, you all are the salt of the earth. Christ here is connecting this whole flow of thought. He connects these figures of speech of salt and light to those who are persecuted. He is speaking, you think, is he, is he talking to the crowd? Is this uh, the Jews are the light of the world? Is he speaking to the disciples in his immediate vicinity? He is speaking to those about whom all of the Beatitudes are true, and especially the last one. Christ is not calling His people to abandon the world. That's hard. That's tough. As Pastor Danny Ruth just prayed, we don't feel at home here. Your very bones ache to leave and to be with Christ. We, we put our mind on eternity to come. Having tasted eternity future in the here and now, as citizens of kingdom, we want the fullness. I yearn for the consummation. I yearn to see Christ appear on the horizon. To conquer all of his and my enemies. But there's something to do now. There's something to do now. There is a reason that Jesus did not save you and immediately snap you up into heaven. Jesus teaches us that, that you and I ought to think of our cultural influence. And, I know that can leave a bad taste. We think of culture war. What is a culture war? We, all of these terms. But what is very clear from this passage of Scripture is that Christ has redeemed us and given us His Holy Spirit and left us here to do something on the face of the earth. And we do that individually and collectively. 
This sermon should have resonated in every single individual. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, men look at themselves. You are the light of the world. We think of that individually and it it causes us to think of, of how I as an individual am responding to that. Am I salty? Do I give off light? But Christ also uses the second person plural here. You all are the light of the world. So we also think of this collectively. And I think the question that comes to us then is how are we as New Covenant Presbyterian Church who profess faith in Christ Jesus and walk after Him in obedience affecting the community that He has planted us in? It reminds us to take seriously the place of church membership. To take seriously the union that we have with the other faithful believers in our community. How are we affecting Summit, Macomb, Magnolia, Meadville? It is God's will for you to be a public Christian. Let me put that negatively. It is not God's will for you to be a secret Christian. Christians, are, we are not secret agents who, who find, we maneuver our way into the world. We sort of conceal ourselves long enough to get that promotion, long enough to get my 401k, strong enough that I can retire. I'm going to conceal myself. I'm going to live privately to myself until I get to that point, and then I'll be public. No! Christians are to live publicly, boldly, courageously, bravely in the face of a hostile world. We don't shrink back. Because God has left us in the world for good, and one of the things that Jesus teaches us in this text is there is no substitute. Bring me the fake salt. Bring me the fake sugar. There's nothing else. If all the Christians leave and pack it up, there's nothing else to salt with. One of my fears is that the effect of the pessimistic view of the end times, some some teach that things are going to wax worse and worse and eventually the church is going to fall off a cliff and go into apostasy. One of the effects of this, do you see, is that we think as long as I just live out my life, if I get to the end, I'm fine. We just expect things to grow worse and worse. It's just going to be that way. I'll withdraw. I'm not going to be engaged. I'm not going to enter public discourse. I'm not going to make my arguments known. I'm just going to live private. Look at what Jesus is saying to you. He has left you here 
to have an effect upon a fallen world. You, you alone. But how does Christ intend then for us to live amongst the world for good? We, we see this, it is his will for us to live amongst the lost, but how do we go about that? The second point is this. God's people proclaim truth in the midst of the lost. Notice verse 13. You all are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under men's feet. Christ here uses the metaphor, this figurative language, this picture of you and me as being salt. What does it mean to be salty? We, we have an immediate picture of that, don't we? And I think in some sense that picture is correct. There is a saltiness about Christians. This is, some muse that salt was a preservative agent. And so you would take your, your fish, your dead fish, and you would rub them down with, with salt, and you'd lay them aside. And, and so it also had an antiseptic use, right? Salt killed the bacteria, didn't allow it to grow. Salt, as the ESV translation concludes, is also used for seasoning. Notice how they translate this for you. If the salt has lost its taste, they're suggesting to you that Christ is referring to salt as a seasoning agent. Perhaps. The meaning or the literal translation here in verse 13 is this, but if salt becomes foolish, what good is it? This phrase is only used in a couple of other places. Turn to Romans 1.20 with me just for a second. Romans 1.20 Remember that here Paul is reminding us that God has revealed himself in nature. And what, what do men uh, do with this knowledge of God revealed in nature? For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that men are Without excuse, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile, you see that, in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So inherent in this idea is the exchange of wisdom for folly. Men should look at what has been created and by nature they should give thanks to God, praise to God. But because men are fallen, they become fools. What does that mean fundamentally? They reject God. They look at the earth and they say, there's no God. This is foolishness. We're reminded from this phrase... Going back to Matthew 5, 13. 
that God brings truth then, wisdom, to bear upon the world through his people. One of the fundamental ways that you affect our city is by bringing truth to bear. By speaking truth when you have the opportunity. This is a direct challenge to God's covenant people. You think, put yourself right now just back in the shoes of these Jews. He is saying to them, if you think and act and talk like the world, in other words, if you become fools like them, instead of speaking truth, then what is there to replace you? What other agent? What other agent? What other mouthpiece is there that God has ordained to bring the gospel to the world? If Christians do not do it, Jesus asked the question, what if the salt loses its taste? What is going to salt the salt? It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we think about the words of Paul in Colossians 4, 6 when he says to us, let your speech always be gracious. Listen, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And there's a warning then here about becoming unsalty. If those who are of heaven return to their worldly thinking, what is there to restore them? What is the replacement seasoning? If the church begins thinking and acting like the world, and you see that many churches look to the world, as the church in Corinth did, to figure out how it ought to operate, If the church starts thinking like the world and acting like the world, what replaces the church? What becomes the influence? What becomes the salt? You and I salt the earth by bringing truth to bear upon it. One of the first recognizable changes in a man or a woman or a child who comes to Christ who is born again is not behavior. It's thinking. Suddenly the man or the woman or the child who has been born again by the Holy Spirit, he thinks of himself in the right light. Remember, this is the whole picture of the Beatitudes. I recognize my debt before a holy God. What I deserve And my behavior is an outflow of this thinking. And so as you come to church, one of the reasons that you attend so faithfully worship, you attend Sunday school, you attend Wednesday night Bible study, is you are trying to expose your mind. You read your Bible faithfully, individually. Why? I'm trying to become more and more salty in a bland world. 
more and more to conform my thinking. You come to worship not for a feeling, but to grow, to learn, to understand the nature and the being of God, to exchange foolishness for wisdom. And the more you do that, the more you are enabled to live as salt in the world. Lastly, third point, quickly here. We salt the world, we live in the midst of the world by proclaiming truth. And then lastly, thirdly, by doing good. Proclaiming truth and doing good. Notice these two metaphors that Jesus uses. He spends uh, more time here in verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. You all. Two metaphors. The city that's set on a hill. This might have been a picture of Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself was set up Uh, You had to ascend, as it were. So when you read your psalms, you read songs of ascent. These were songs sung as the people climbed to Jerusalem. A city that's set on a hill, it can't be hidden. You see, again, we're, 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 we're not secret. And also, people do not light a lamp and then put it under a basket. The reason that you light that oil lamp is so that it might shine on everything in the house. The light is intended to reveal. And Christ has brought His Word to bear upon you, has made you a light so that He might shine through you to a lost and dying world. How do you do this? How do you bring light? Well, by doing good. By doing good. It is not proper for God's people to adopt worldly ethics. For instance, to say, well, it's not a big lie. It's a little lie. It's just a paper clip. Nobody at work's going to miss it. One of the things that as we work our way through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to remind his people of a biblical ethic, Christian ethics, how to live in this world and to do good. He points us to the moral law as the foundation of all Christian ethics. We learn how to do good by looking at God's law, by obeying the law of God. And this kind of living then contextualizes our proclamation of the truth. We become people, listen, who proclaim truth and who live it consistently amongst our neighbors, including, listen, one of the things that Jesus says over and over is repenting. Confessing sin. We don't live perfectly, but when we don't, we don't hide our sin either. We don't live hypocritically. Why do we do this? Because we know the power of an ethical Christian life gives strength to our testimony. It makes us all the more salty. We are called to do good in and to the world. Not so that we may boast in ourselves, but so others will boast in Christ. 
That we are motivated by the glory of God. I live to the glory of God because I want others to glorify Him as well. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven benefit the world through wise and righteous living done to the glory of God. God calls upon you, His people, to live amongst the world. It's hard. You will be persecuted for it. You will grieve. Sometimes we will grieve together. Men, some men will die for living righteously in and amongst the world. But we go forth boldly. Why? Because there's a promise here that we will be salt. And that our saltiness will have an effect. Perhaps one of the things we ought to consider is if the world is waxing worse, what does that say about the salt and the light? The people of the church of Jesus Christ are God's appointed means to bring about good in the world. Though tempted, you cannot abandon this purpose. You fulfill this purpose when you bring truth to bear upon those around you. And when you live intentionally doing good to your neighbor without being asked. May God bless and empower our witness as we live faithfully before him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God. Father, we do confess. That the pressure upon us to conform is very great. And we, we fall. Father, we fail. We ask for the work of your Holy Spirit here and now. That we might be faithful to carry out this commission. You've commanded us, let your light shine. Don't blow it out. We ask for courage. We ask for brave fathers and husbands so that we might live before you in this way that through us, good would come to this world. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.